0: Welcome to the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org.
1: Listen, I just wanted to frame this before I introduce um, our speaker tonight. We've been in the series called Coming Soon, and tonight's the last bit of the series. And uh, if you've missed the last several weeks, what we've been talking about is this that an identity as a church comes before our activity as a church. That the first thing we've got to get is not, okay, what's the new campaign, or what's the new cause, or what's the thing we ought to get motivated by? And the reason why I think it's so easy for us to jump onto those things is because we are an, a, a busy people, and we think that when we come to church that, that we want to sign up for a church that has, first of all, the right stuff and the right things we need to get busy doing and all this stuff. And I think there's part of this that... that that the first thing that comes that has to happen in us is we've got to learn, okay, so what does it mean to be the people of God? What does that mean? What does that look like? And uh, sometimes, you know, you talk to different pastors or different leaders, and there's, there's all this zeal to say, we got to reach out, and we got to add, and we got to add to the people of God, which is good. But if before we can add to the people of God, I think it's important we understand, how do we become people? The people of God, and so this whole series coming soon has really been a series about identity, about the church 's identity, and specifically then about new life church 's identity who are we what 's in the, the, the strand of our ethos or of our DNA, or what, what is God speaking to us? How has God sort of put this body of believers together and so um, tonight, to wrap up the series is a friend of mine who came on staff at New Life Church the same summer, the same year that I did back in uh, the summer of 2000. And it's been an amazing journey of friendship and watching what the Lord has done uh, in each other's lives. And uh, you, you may know, if you, all of you know David Perkins if you've been at New Life for a little while. And you're familiar with the Desperation Conferences and the Desperation Movement and the Furnace Prayer House, prayer meeting stuff and all of that amazing stuff. And now David has just taken over our student ministries here at New Life Church. And so some of you may know that, some of you may not know that. But, uh, but, uh, but what an appropriate way to wrap up the series to say, okay, let's let David come and tell us, share with us some of God's heartbeat, not only for this generation, but this core piece of who we are as the people of God. So please welcome Pastor David Perkins. You love Jesus?
0: Yeah, awesome. I'm telling you, this service is the full buffet. You've got the Nicene Creed, you've got the Lord's Prayer, you've got Communion, and then you've got all the summer movies. It's... Uh, <laughs> You get a lot here on Sunday night. Um, Hey, love being with you tonight. Excited about this opportunity. Just love Glenn and Holly Pacquiam. And uh, they're some of my dearest friends. Uh, Love them like crazy. Their little boy, Jonas David. We just had a son three weeks ago and named him Justice David Paul. And so anyway, we're copying the Pacquiams a little bit, but um, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, uh, God's doing good things. Um, Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. And we just had that read, but that's where we're going to go tonight, Uh, Revelation chapter five. And um, while you're turning there, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, where we've been. Uh, Pastor Glenn has talked uh, in this series when we started, talked a little bit about worship in week one, and that as being a core value. And then we talked, and then Matthew Barnett came and he talked about the poor and our commitment to our city. And so I know you guys watched that via video, and I thought he did a fantastic job. And then last week, uh, we talked about prayer and missions being core values of our church. And so tonight, uh, I'm going to talk about students. I'm going to talk about God's heart, our call, uh, how that peace is a part of the DNA of what God's called us to be. And so that's kind of where we're going to go tonight in Revelation chapter 5. Here we go. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea And all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Father, we love you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus. We thank you that he is enthroned forever and ever. We thank you for this exaltation. This song that declares the grandeur and the splendor of Jesus. And tonight, Lord God, we ask that this would go deep into our hearts. That we would behold the worthy Lamb. Would you open the eyes of our heart to see the worthy Lamb? Would you help us to make much of the glorious splendor of the worthy Lamb? We love you, we honor you. And then summer before last we did a desperation conference up in Michigan. And so we were at a good friend of ours in West Michigan, and we had just concluded the conference and I was flying home and I was actually flying by myself and I got onto a flight that was uh, very few people on it, and uh, had the exit row, and the flight attendant came and did the normal thing where he says, uh, you know, he, he gives us all the, all, the, all the security and safety piece. And then he began to go through and check for everybody's seatbelt, and as he went through the row, you know, he kind of did the thing where he's walking through, check, 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 and he got to the security, or he got to the uh, emergency exit row where I was seated up against the window seat, and he looked at me, and he said, he did kind of a double take, and he goes, excuse me, sir, you have to be at least 15 years of age to sit in this seat. Are you at least 15 years of age? And I wanted desperately to respond like Christ in that moment But it's been such a long battle in my life over this issue <laughs> That I looked at him and I said, yes, I'm at least 15 years of age I, I'm double that at the time I was 31 I was like, come on, man, I've got three kids I've got 100 mortgages, come on I'm old and grown I'm halfway to 60 And I could tell he felt bad I was kind of teasing him And we were, we were kind of having fun we got up in the air, he did the, dr- he did the drinks and all that stuff, and then he came back through, and uh, because it was empty flight, I mean, he was done really early, and he came back and he sat down next to me in the aisle seat in the emergency exit row next to me, and so I think it was kind of like a sympathy pity thing, you know, like he felt bad, so he came back to like redeem himself and get some mojo going, and uh, that led to a conversation and we began to talk, and he began to ask me about what I was doing or where I was going, and I told him about who I was, and it inevitably led to us talking about Jesus. I asked him questions about his faith, and he didn't have faith at all. He said, I don't believe in religion, and I asked him if he ever had, and he said, yes, actually, at a a point in my life, I was actually committed. I I prayed a prayer to the Christian God. He said, "I've, I've been there, he said, but it didn't work. And I just thought that was strange language. He said, it didn't work. I said, "So I go." It didn't work. I don't know what you mean by that. Tell me what it, what you mean. And he said, "Well, I prayed with the guy on TV." And he said, "The guy on TV said that if I prayed that prayer, that my life would get better." And he said, "So I prayed that I prayed that prayer so that my life would get better." And he said, "And to be honest with you, he said, two years later I still had no girlfriend, the same apartment, and the same car." And he said, "So I gave it a try." your religion doesn't work. And so I began the process of talking to him about Jesus and about who Jesus was in eternity past and who Jesus was and what it meant that Jesus came on the earth and what sin looked like and why Jesus came and how he defeated the enemy and what it means that he died on the cross. And I began to just talk to him and began to share the gospel. And I told him, I said, that's, that's not the gospel. And we kind of went back and forth, back and forth. And at the, core, at the core of what this man had come to believe about God was this. I come to Jesus because Jesus is the means to my happiness. The way that he thought was, I'm going to say a prayer or I'm going to choose Christ because Jesus is the avenue to ultimately my happiness, which friends, ultimately we know is nothing more than humanism. And what he said was, was ultimately, when when happiness didn't exist, when what he thought, when the apartment didn't get better, when the girlfriend never came, and when the car remained old and junky, that this God must have failed him. I don't know if you saw this, but this is Tuesday's USA Today, this past Tuesday. And uh, I just want to read a little bit for you. This is how it reads. This is how it starts. Young adults less devoted to faith. Surveys show... Shows steady drift from church life. Here it is. Most young adults today don't pray, don't worship, and don't read the Bible. A major survey by a Christian research firm shows. And then we have quite a few words, maybe 500 words or so on statistics that just give more evidence of that thesis statement. But let's skip to the end and it says this. Colin Hansen, 29, author of Young, Restless, and Reformed, about a thriving minority of traditionalist Christians agrees. I'm not saying... Uh, I'm not going to say these numbers aren't true and aren't grim, but they, but they also drive people like me to build new, passionately Christian dynamic churches, says Hansen, who is studying for the ministry. He sees, here it is, he sees many in his generation veering to mor- moralistic, therapeutic deism. God wants you to be happy and do good things. And then he says, however, I would not call that Christianity. The 2007 Lifewise study found seven in ten Protestant ages 18 to 30, both evangelical and mainline, who went to church regularly in high school, said they quit attending by age 23, and 34% of those had not returned even sporadically by age 30. And so one of the big questions that we are faced with is, as we look to making disciples in the next generation, as we look at... Uh, young people, high school, junior high students in this generation, and the question always comes to me, David, what is the plan? How are we going to make disciples what 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 are we going to do? I, I, I want to start with this now, I want to look at this problem and I want to look and be, and be honest because this is true of my generation. This is true right now, my friends that are thirty years old, my, my buds in in mass there have been there's been a mass exodus, and I believe that this therapeutic <laughs> I want to say it exactly like he said it Because it's really big words and makes me feel smart Oh, Glenn quotes it <laughs> See, it's my sermon, Glenn Moralistic, moralistic therapy Alright, that's it I'm going to read it right here Glenn's a punk, man Alright, that's good I'll just say it The idea that, G- that we use Jesus to gain our happiness that, that, that's, one of, that's the big idea that's, that's a big part of the problem that we face And so, realistically, right now As we look toward the future, as we look toward what what does it mean for us as we begin to make disciples of students today, my great passion, my great passion as the youth pastor at this church and, and where we're going is that we would make much of Christ, that worthy is the lamb would be what our emphasis is on. That this idea of how awesome Jesus is. Because inevitably what's happened in my generation is that many came to Jesus with the mode of truly being me. And I'm going to use Jesus to get to my happiness. And then inevitably when you go that route, there's a crisis of faith. Because inevitably all of us face pain. Right. Inevitably all of us face the moment where everything didn't turn out. Where they never got the girlfriend. Where you didn't get the house. Where money, money didn't turn up. Where the job went sour. where all, Whatever the blessing is. And let, let me tell you, I'm into the blessing thing. I love it. I love the idea that we come to Jesus and we, we, we come and we surrender because of who he is. We give everything that we have because of who Jesus is, because of the worth and how awesome our God is, and then, yea, and all these things will be added unto you. I love the blessings. I love the blessings that God gives us. I believe he blesses our, our, our marriages. I believe he blesses our families. I believe that there is a great uh, blessing that God gives us, but it's not the reason. It's not the reason that we give him our lives. It's not the reason that we give him everything. The reason is because he's worthy. The reason is because we have come to a realization and an understanding of the excellencies of Jesus. We've come to realize how awesome, how big, how great he is. And my passion is that students today will start to begin to understand The the grandeur and the greatness of Christ so that a decade from now, when they inevitably face difficulty, when they inevitably face hard time, they can walk through any difficulty, any moment, because worthy is the Lamb. So I want to take a few moments tonight and I just want to talk about the Lamb. I just want to talk about His excellence, that our hearts would grow in gratitude, our hearts would grow in understanding His worth realistically, this verse here, Revelation 5, says that one day every creature on the earth, above the earth, under the earth, on the sea, everybody is going to sing to him who sits on the throne under the Lamb, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever. One day we're all going to say that he is holy and he is worthy and he is true. Everyone's going to sing. The great thinkers of our age, the great thinkers of the past, the great philosophers of the past, the artists, everyone, all, everyone is going to sing. Everyone is going to declare it. Everyone is going to declare who he is. Number one is this. Jesus created the heavens and the earth with his father. This is interesting. I don't know what your view is of Jesus. And when you think about Jesus, what, what pictures come into your mind and what you think of. Of course, A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about us is what we see when we picture God. What, how we imagine. So when you think of Jesus, imagine this. Jesus, with his father, creates the heavens and the earth. We know this from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made that have been made. In Him was life. So we know Jesus creates the heavens and the earth with the Father. Okay, number two, Jesus is enthroned before He ever comes to earth. And that's intriguing. In John chapter 12, John writes about how Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus and talked about it. John 12, 41, how Isaiah saw Jesus and talked about him, spoke about him. Well, obviously Isaiah lived 700 and something years before Jesus ever came. So Jesus, not only is he creator, he's enthroned before he comes. And then Jesus comes to earth. Number three, Jesus became a man for you. Jesus became a man for me. Philippians 2, we're familiar with it, where it says, I love the language when it says that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. That idea, the whole thing right there that Paul's talking about is when Jesus becomes a man and he takes on the appearance of a man, he is a man, he's a man, and he's done it for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. Though he was rich, though he existed in eternity past and had all things, he's God, he's creator, he's got relationship with his father, he's got all wealth, he's got all power, he's got all things. Though he was rich, yet for our sake, for your sake, for my sake, for the sake of the world, he comes to a Bethlehem stable. He becomes poor. He becomes a man that we, have an avenue into eternity with him that you and I might become rich that you and I might gain life and he lives on the earth perfectly and while he's on the earth he heals he calms storms he feeds people and then Jesus after living with complete perfection goes to a cross Jesus dies on the cross I don't know where you're at maybe you're a mature believer you've been in the faith for 40 years maybe you stumbled in tonight You're just hearing about Jesus for the first time While we were still sinners Christ dies on a cross for us God who became man Lives perfectly Dies on a cross Raises from the dead Appears to his disciples Ascends into heaven And finally We all know Currently he's seated on a throne He's seated on a throne And one day he's coming back for all of us One day, Jesus is gonna return. I was, uh, a number of years ago, nine years ago. I've been here for a year. Actually, it was nine nine years ago this month, May of 2001. And uh, I went with some friends to Germany. We were on a mission trip, and it worked out for us to go to Hernhut, Germany. And uh, while we were there, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the pastors in the town Began to show us the different places In Hernhut, Germany He began to walk us through And show us and tell us the story Of Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf Which is what I wanted to ask Renata if we could name justice But she said no <laughs> What about Ludwig? No Nicholas? No Count? No And, uh, and while we were there Me and, me and two other guys we, we heard the story And we hear the story about these Moravians that were, literally persecuted for their faith, and a German nobleman who had grown up and who had possessed wealth and had wealth grew up as this nobleman went to go protect these Moravians that were being persecuted for their faith, and so he began to bring them into his town, to his for his castle, and then they they entered into the town, and and he was giving them a place of protection and wanted to create authentic community around Christ. As a town and, and what took place was that they In praying for protection they began a prayer movement And they began to pray Two hours Girls, two hours guys, two hours girls Two hours guys around the clock We would call it a prayer chain today But they would pray around the clock 24 hours And then the prayer movement you can only pray for yourself. You can only pray for protection for so long. When you're praying night and day and day and night. When you're praying 24 hours a day, you can only do the God protect us, God help us, God save us, God help so and so, help them, help them, help their house, God protect us here and here and here. I mean, you know, we've, that, that was 10 seconds. We got a long way to go. This is <laughs> n- night and day and day and night all the time. So inevitably, the prayers of protection turn to the prayers of the Great Commission, of Jesus Revelation 7, where it says there's going to be a great multitude of which no one can count from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It went to Matthew 28, where they began to pray for the nations of the world. And they began to pray, God, would you open up a door for the gospel to go into these, dark, to these places that had never heard the gospel. And as they prayed, as they began to just cry out then, then not only did it go to that, but it wasn't too long before that prayer those statements of prayer, those prayer efforts, they began to put feet to their prayers. And they began to figure out ways to send people out all over the world. And they would send people out, sometimes, usually by, in, in twos, they would send people out to the different nations of the world. The great Moravian prayer movement went down as famous because it was, went on for a hundred years but it wasn't just that it was a prayer movement because the prayer movement ushered in the mission movement. It ushered in an evangelism movement and ushered in a movement for them to go and give their lives all over the world. And I sat, I remember sitting in this cemetery and I looked at all these places where people had gone because what they would do is they'd go out and they'd spend much of their lives in these dark regions of the world and then they would come back and in the, at the cemetery, they had not only the person's name, but it had the place in the world where they had spent much of their lives. And I just listened to this man is in his 60s just with fervor talk about the level of passion that existed because you had a great level of passion. You had intense, incredible intercession going on. They had taken vows and they would sit literally in, in groups and make... Uh, and, and take, take a vow and, and, sit and, and be in little uh, community groups where they would wear rings that said we're committed to only Jesus and they would a- have each other, hold each other accountable and levels of consecration and then levels of mission about going out into all over the world. And I just remember 2001, I've been on staff here for a year, not quite a year, less than a year and I was, I was, I was mesmerized by the level of passion. I got back on the train with my friend and we began to talk Because there had been a second where God had arrested me in that cemetery and I, in one of the most passionate moments of my life, just looked at God and I just just cried out to God, God, let let this live in my generation. My generation's filled with such apathy. My generation is filled with so much knowledge of Jesus and yet no power. My generation has grown up with Sunday school and preaching vegetables. God, we need we need this. I need this. I want this alive in my heart. So me and my bud, we, on the train, we began to talk about what it would look like and, and how, how could God possibly move. And it wasn't so much that there was a fascination with the methodology that took place in the Moravian movement. The, the passion for me was the level of fervor, the level of intensity. One of the great stories, one of the great stories of the Moravian movement was about when Zinzendorf came to the middle of the community and they had an opportunity to go to the West Indies, which is present day St. Thomas. A landowner there didn't want anybody to come in with any Christian missionaries to come there and so he had said, there's no way that Christian missionaries can come to our island. And Zinzendorf had an idea and he came to the community and said, there is a way to get on the island to take the gospel to St. Thomas or to that to, to the West Indies And he said If someone is willing to sell their life into slavery Then you can get on the island You can be there And there's thousands of slaves there That have never heard the gospel And he put forth a challenge To the Moravians There in the community and he said will anyone go Two 19 year olds spoke up Leonard, Do- Leonard Dober and David Nitchman. And they said Leonard Dober said we will go And they began a little bit of a process of training and preparation in order to go then. Kind of an intriguing thing because when 19-year-olds say, hey, we'll gladly sell our lives to go into slavery for the sake of taking the gospel to the world. People began to push back a little bit and say, hey, are you lacking wisdom? And so they face some of that. They face some people saying, hey, don't do this. Don't waste your lives. You've got so much in front of you. And so many of the Moravian community came to see them off as they got on the ship because w- literally when they got, when the, the money that, they, that it took, that they received for selling their life into slavery was only enough for a one-way boat fare. That was it. So they sold their lives. It paid for their one-way boat fare to their, for the rest of their lives to be slaves in order to reach other slaves with the gospel. And as they were about to take off, as they were about to pull out of the harbor, Leonard Dober took the hand of David David Nitschman. And he made a statement that's kind of echoed throughout history and became literally the anthem of the Moravian mission movement. And he yelled out to his friends, still on shore, and he said, he screamed out, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering." At the top of his lungs, may the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And right in that statement, the statement that then has gone on and lived on and even lives on today, we just sent a, a furnace team over, and they went and they they walked Hernhut and they prayed and they 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 studied it and they went all throughout Europe. They went to Wittenberg where Luther posted uh, the 95 Theses. They went up they they went up to uh, Wales where Evan Roberts led a revival and. As they went all the way through, in many different churches you had the Moravian lamb. The lamb has conquered, we must follow him. It's alive today, and in the heart of that statement, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. In the heart of that, in the core of that, in the crux of that, when you listen to that, it is the exact antithesis, the exact opposites of humanism. It's the exact opposite of, I use Jesus to get a better life. When you break it down, you hear, may the lamb, the one who is worthy, the one who is excellent, the one who is awesome, the one who is holy, the one who is true, the one who existed from an eternity past, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who came to earth, became a man, lived perfectly, died on a cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits in thrones forever, will return for us. All nations will declare his grand award one day. May the worthy lamb, May the lamb who was slain, who gave his life, may he receive the reward, the great reward. May he receive the reward of his suffering. What's the reward that he deserves? He deserves all of our hearts. And he deserves as many as possible to know him. There will be a great multitude of which no one can count from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And he deserves a great reward. And in the heart of Leonard Dober's anthem, in his statement, we find the opposite of, I want to come to Jesus in order to get good things. No, he said, it doesn't matter where this boat takes me. Doesn't matter what's on the other end. I do this because he's worthy, because he's excellent, because he's holy, because he is so good. The very core of our faith is that we come to Jesus... Because of who he is Because of what he did Because of the gospel Because of who Jesus is And that's why we live For David Nitchman, for and, and Leonard Dober One of them Went on to lead thousands of slaves Into the kingdom Thousands And one of them died young Because of a disease Not, not long before they got there both of them lived; that the lamb would receive the reward of his suffering. In America, we often measure how well we're doing based upon our in- environment and how well things are going. Our temptation is to, uh, is our measuring stick is how well is everything going? Do I have what I need? Does my ministry look good? Where am I at? The very core of where we want to be is because of the excellent splendor and the worth of Christ. It doesn't matter. I follow him wherever it leads me. If it leads you to the mud huts of Mexico, worthy is the lamb. If it leads you to, this, to the White House, worthy is the lamb. If it leads you in a nine to five cubicle on academy, worthy is the lamb. If it leads you to the NBA, what are you laughing at? Worthy is the lamb. We're not in it. We're not in it. For the secondary things, the secondary benefits, we're in it because of who He is. We're in it because He's worthy. I love Job's confession in Job nineteen when Job has gone through such suffering, and he says, "Write this on a rock that we might engrave that it might be engraved forever." That's our. In 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 twenty ten we would say. You know, take this to the shop and en- engrave it on a gold ring. You know, write, this is my anthem. This is who I am. This is what I believe. He says, put this on a rock. I know that my Redeemer lives. In the end, he will stand on the earth. And though my flesh will be destroyed, yet with my eyes, I will see God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. May the lamb that was slain. Receive his rewards. Zindendorf's great quote, I love one of his quotes where he says, I have but one passion, and it's Jesus. So there's a lot of questions to say, David, what, what, where, where are we taking this whole, this whole student ministries thing? Well, we've developed a vow. To date, we have over 25,000 teenagers that have taken it across the nation, and all that we're gonna do is try to just inject it into the heart of this local body with everything that we have. It's those four things. Passion for Jesus. Intercession. Prayer consecration, holy unto the Lord, mission, the Lamb has conquered. Let's follow Him. Let's follow Him wherever He takes us. And it may take some of us to the White House, and it may may take some of us to small ministries, and other people to medium ministries, and other people to nine to five, and other people to other parts of America, and some people to Texas, and some people to wherever. But we will go. We'll be obedient no matter where He takes us, no matter what it looks like. We're going to start doing a few things Wednesday nights Wednesday nights we're going to worship like crazy We're going to celebrate Sunday nights we're beginning campus groups that, the Campus groups that focus on reaching the campuses Our goal is to have a hundred prayer meetings uh, Student led on campuses across the city And we want on Wednesday night Week after week after week after week To make much of Jesus To talk much about Jesus And there's many people that come to me and say Hey David, how can I help? How can I jump in? And I love that. A lot of times what they're saying is, hey, I'll, you know, what do you need me to do? I mean, you want me to put marshmallows in kids' mouth when we play Chubby Bunny? You want me to pop balloons with my butt? What do you want me to do? I'll do it. Here's, here's, here's my core. There's some of you that can come and serve, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But far above serving on Wednesday nights or on Sunday nights, the real way that you can help is if you lift this in front of teenagers in our local house. In this body, if you live as a worshiper in passion, if you're a man or a woman of prayer and intercession, if you live wanting so desperately to let Christ transform you so that you're separate from the sin of the age, if you live on mission with Jesus, passion for Jesus, intercession like Jesus, consecration unto Jesus, and on mission with Jesus, that's the core. And if you live that, that's the greatest thing you can do for a teenager. If they see it in our house, I know I know. we dedicate babies and we talk about this. Let them see it. Somehow we've lost it often by the time they're teenagers. We need the teenagers to see it alive in our hearts. We need the teenagers to see it alive in us. That's, that's what we really need. On a practical level, God's doing a lot of great things. We would, we, we would love to have you help us on Wednesday nights. We need people on security teams, and we need people on prayer teams, and we need, we've got a prayer room, and if you want to just come and pray, that would be awesome. We, we need a lot of housing. Last we, if you could ever open up your house for nine months for a whole for a DLA student, or for three days for a youth pastor. Who last weekend we had a hundred youth pastors here in the World Prayer Center for three days just to pray for a great awakening in America. That's cool. If you want if you want to house a youth pastor, we'll have somewhere between eight and 11,000 teenagers here this summer for conference. If you wanna, if you, if you wanna house a couple teenagers for a while, that would be great. There's a lot of ways to help. My team, we're all gonna be out in the lobby just to connect with you. If any of you wanna come and talk, we're gonna be out there and we'd love to talk with you if you wanna connect. Um, those are some practical ways, but get this. Number one way, and I'll conclude with this, is if this lives so great in your heart, this idea that he is worthy that he is holy, that he is awesome, and that you live these ideas, passion, intercession, consecration. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would see his glory. Jesus prays it. And I love this prayer. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus right before he embraces the cross. We know that Jesus' prayers are answered. You can guarantee it. Jesus' prayers don't go unanswered. And Jesus says in John 17, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. That's you. That's me. That's our privilege, to see his glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. One more verse. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tongue, tribe, tribe people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the, come on, in front of the, in front of the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The worthy lamb, that's what we live for. May the lamb that was slain receive a great reward from our hearts and from thousands of teenagers in our city, from thousands in Colorado Springs. We stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you, God, that our lives are bent around a real person. Not a philosophy, not a theory, not a concept, but a real man who sits upon a real throne who will return for his people. Holy Spirit, would you arrest our hearts? God, we want to live with great passion. We don't want to hand off intercession to someone else. Every one of us want to be men and women of prayer. We don't want to give excuses as to why consecration isn't necessary for us. No, we want to live consecrated. We don't want to talk about someone else's mission. No, we want to be on mission with what you've called each one of us to. May we be men and women of sacrifice. May the worthy lamb consume our hearts and affect the way that we live every day. God, captivate us. I pray for my friends here tonight. I pray, Holy Spirit, do a marvelous work inside of them. Capture them, we pray. We love you, Jesus. And everybody that loves Jesus with all their heart, said amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a shout out. Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm a youth pastor. You can do better. There it is. Whoop, there it is. Good. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next Sunday night at 530.